James chapter 1. Everybody got it? All right. We have been walking through James, uh, his epistle to the Hebrew Christians uh, who were in exile, right? James' epistle to Hebrew Christians in exile. We're going to take a bit more text in our reading this morning than, than what we have been in the last couple of weeks. So we're going to read verses 1 through verse 18. So James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God. For God cannot tempt or be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, that's a lot of text. And that's done to give you the broader context um, of what, what we're going to be dealing with this morning. I, I want to spend most of my time in verses 9 through 12. So let's, I'm going to read it again so that it's fresh in our minds. James says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay. Let's get to work. In these verses... These three verses, four verses that we read. James gives us two apostolic commands. Number one, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Secondly, let the rich brother boast in his humiliation. Now, these are basically two sides of the same coin. And by that I mean that they basically hope to achieve the same result. 
But James is covering the range of human experience here so that we don't get caught in the trap of thinking that he is just telling the lowly brother to boast in exaltation, that the only reason that we have to boast is when we are exalted. If he had left it at that, if he had stopped with verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, then certainly those who were already exalted, the ones who were lofty in their positions, the ones who were rich in wealth, they would have found plenty of reason to boast. Well, if the, the poor are supposed to boast in, in that they are exalted or when they are exalted, how much more should we, who have all the wealth and have all the, the, the status, how much more should we boast that we are already exalted? Amen. That was a problem during the time of the apostles. The, the religious ruling classes were uh, typically wealthy. That's how they got to be the religious ruling classes. They equated their wealth and their position with the favor of God. So the more wealth, the more f position, the more status they had, the more God was pleased with them. God must be pleased with them because they are blessed with an abundance of possessions and positions. And this kind of broken, heretical ideology is not relegated to ancient cultures and civilizations. Is very much alive and thriving all over the world today. You've heard it as the prosperity gospel. It's prosperity gospel 101. Amen. Right there. God favors me, therefore only good things will happen to me. And if bad things happen, it's either because I don't have enough faith or I've done something otherwise to displease God. So i got to work hard to earn God's favor. So James doesn't stop with the lowly brother, because if he did, that's where we'd end up. He doesn't stop with the lowly brother. He captures the range of human experience, and he tells us that the rich brother must boast in his humiliation. It might be helpful at this point to try to define some words. James uses lots of words. <laughs> the Bible is the word, so we need to know definitions. For example, what does James mean by lowly brother? What does he mean by the rich? What does he mean when he says that we are to boast? What does he mean when he talks about exaltation and humiliation? Let's take a look. Lowly brother. Remember back in verse 1, James told us who he's writing to. He said, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. He's addressing the Hebrew Christians who were in exile. They were, in, they were part of the dispersion. They were spread out. So the Hebrew Christians who are abroad, not the ones living in Jerusalem or the surrounding areas, but they're abroad in other nations, other lands. They were, they were part of the exile when the Jews were, had gone into exile, and they never came home. But the gospel has spread through the ministry of Paul and other apostles throughout the known world. And so there are Christians all over now. And James is writing, telling them, this is a way to live. So he's addressing Christians. The thing is that geography isn't important to us, though. What's important is that he's writing to fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let the lowly brother. Well, that's plainly when he calls him brother. The brother is a believer. We could say that he's talking to brothers in Christ. Let the lowly brother in Christ. So James puts the lowly brother 
in contrast, in position, to the rich brother. Do you see that? There's a contrasting position. Let the lowly brother do one thing, but let the rich brother do something else. The Greek word here literally means, uh, for rich, it means rich person. Since there are two painted, these two lowly and rich are painted in contrast to one another, we need to know what rich means. It means rich person. Um, that's how it's used all throughout the New Testament. There is no instance in the New Testament where this word is translated differently. It's always translated as rich or rich person or just simply to say the rich. It always means abundance or wealth. There are 28 times when this word is used in the New Testament. And of those 28 times, only two instances where it means something other than actual monetary wealth. But it still means abundance. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that's that word, same word, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you his poverty, so that by so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, obviously, he's not talking about monetary wealth there, but he's talking about abundance. Talking about he, he had abundance, and for your sake he became without abundance, so that through his poverty you might have abundance, you might be rich. Then again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, But God being rich in mercy. So he's not rich in wealth. That's not, what Paul is, that's not the point Paul's making there. He has an abundance of mercy. Both of those instances, he's talking about abundance. Those are the only two in the New Testament where that Greek word for rich is used, where it's, it's translated, and it, and it means, it translated rich, and it means something other than monetary wealth. So we can assume then that James is talking about monetary wealth at least, right? So let's go, let's go back to lowly then. Now we know what rich means. It's, it's a person who has an abundance. Let's go back to what lowly is. Because of the position, the contextual position, where, where we see let the lowly brother do one thing, but let the rich do another, we, we know, we can infer with great certainty that regardless of whatever else lowly may mean here, at the very least, it's talking about someone who doesn't have a whole lot of money. Just because of how it is placed in contrast to the rich. Do you see that? At the very least, whatever else it means, at the very least, it's talking about people who don't have a whole lot of money. People who are poor. So there's one more clue, though. I want to add another layer of meaning so we can find out who is this lowly brother. The lowly brother is to boast in his exaltation. That's a clue that he boasts in exaltation. Now, you would think that this means that he boasts when he gets, he's lowly, so he should, and because of his juxtaposition to the person who is rich, the lowly brother should boast when he is made rich, right? That's not what it means. Exaltation and the sense that comes with it, the, the original language, introduces a whole other dimension because it it doesn't mean the opposite of poor. It doesn't mean wealth. I mean, since James contrasted lowly with the rich, you know, you'd think that it does. You'd think that it means related to money. Um, And for that matter, you'd think that when he says that the rich man should exult or, or, or rejoice or boast in his humiliation, you'd think that would have to do with money. But it doesn't. I mean, and look, I know I'm getting nitpicky, all right? I can see some of you glossing over. Don't, don't lose me. Don't lose me. Now, I'm sorry to get nitpicky and technical. I know it can sound tedious. 
I know that it's, it's easy to get lost in details. Um, you know, this word means that, and that word means this, and the Greek translated here, and it's used here like that. You can get lost in the details, and you can just, you know, turn your brain off because it's hard. We turn our brains off when things get hard. We don't want to think about hard things. This is hard work, church. Listen to me. It's hard work. And it's hard work that we must do if we are to rightly apprehend the Word of God. If we are to correctly understand what the biblical authors are saying to us by the Holy Spirit, there's hard work to be done. You know, we, we are separated. Just think about the work, the level of work, the, the obstacles that we have to overcome. We are separated from James, the biblical author here, by, by not only by language, but by vastly different cultures. We're separated by thousand, two, almost 2,000 years of culture and change and history. We're separated by a whole lot. So if, if we are going to get riches, if we want to find the riches, we have to mine for them. If you want to seek limitless treasure, you're going to have to go digging for it. In 2 Timothy, Paul did not tell Timothy to just casually read or casually approach the Word of God. No, in, in 2 Timothy 2.15, he said, Do your best to present yourself as one approved. The NASB says, Be diligent to present yourself. I love how the King James put it because it, 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 it just brass tacks. Study! to show yourself approved unto God so that we can be workers who have no need of being ashamed because we rightly handle the word of truth. It's hard work. There's nothing casual about it. Read it. Study it. Do your best. My best is not easy. Study is not easy. There's gold in the pages of Scripture, and we're going to have to dig to find it. That's a bit of a rabbit trail, just to let you know. It's, it's a little technical this morning. I'm sorry for that, but that's where we are. And we ought to rejoice in the work that we get to do. Yes. James contrasts the lowly with the rich. You wouldn't think that, you would think that exaltation that he talks about and the humiliation that he talks about would be directly related to money because of how he contrasts the lowly with the rich, with, with wealth, but it, but it isn't. So we're going to get technical again. Exaltation in the Greek, it literally means lofty position. Let the lowly brother rejoice in his lofty position. If you search for that word, the Greek word in the New Testament, you'll find six other places that it's used. I just want to give you a couple of examples so that you see what I mean by context. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's the Greek word. That's the, the lofty position, the one that James translates as exaltation, on high. You're clothed with power from on high. In Ephesians 3.18, Paul prays that they may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height. That is the, the depth. That's that word there, that lofty position of the love of God. And then one more, Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, lofty position, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. 
So only here in James do we see this word translated as exaltation. And I'm not saying that's a bad translation, quite the, quite the contrary. I'm not saying that that word shouldn't be translated like that here. It makes perfect sense, but we need to get a sense of what it is that James is saying. And this is part of the digging that we do to find the gold that, that is treasure for us. We have to do this hard work. It just means that there's nuance to the word, and sometimes it's hard to capture all of the nuance in English. So, understanding that, understanding that the lowly brother should boast in his high position, his exaltation. The Greek word for lowly literally means humble, as in the humble circumstance, the quality of being humble. So the lowly brother, as James is using the word, is the the believer of low estate or low status. Now, we already talked about because of how he positioned it against rich, certainly it does mean poor. But more to the point, he's talking about status, social status. That's why the lowly brother exalts, rejoices, boasts in his lofty position. The lowly brother boasts in the fact that he is exalted. It's low as in, we see the same Greek word in Luke uh, 152. He says, um, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble, lowly estate. That's the same word we see in it in 2 Corinthians 7, 6. But God who comforts the downcast, that's the lowly. So we're not talking about, about money. We're talking about position, right? Amen. Talking about position. The lowly brother should boast in the fact that he is exalted. He is in a high position even though he's humble. Even though he is low. The lowly brother, the one who is humble and low, who is in a low state, should exalt that should should boast that he is exalted. That he is in a lofty position. How can you be low and be lofty? So James is not saying that the poor Christian, remember the lowly opposed to the rich, he's not saying that the poor Christian should boast or rejoice or glory when he becomes rich, whenever he gets money, not even a little bit. That's not what he's saying. When we have all the pieces of the puzzle, we can start to see the whole picture. When we contrast lowly with exaltation, loftiness, high position, and lowly with the rich, we see that the lowly Christian that James talks about isn't someone who is just poor in terms of money, but he's poor in station. Do you remember back at the beginning, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds? But James says, rejoice, count it joy, rejoice, boast in your loftiness, boast in your exaltation. Lowly brothers and sisters, boast in your exaltation. And I'm going to add, in Christ, because I think that's what James is getting at. I think that's the point he's trying to make. And that's the point, is to find the point. We have to dig for the gold. That's the point he's trying to make. Boast in your exaltation, lowly brothers and sisters. Boast in Christ. I mean, what else could it mean? Think about it. Think it through. What else, what else could it mean? Lowly, boasting that they are lofty? How does that even work? Lowly, by definition, is not exalted. It is not exalted to be outcast. It is not exalted to be poor. Right? So what is this loftiness? What is this exaltation that we're supposed to boast about? 
Well, I think we have a clue in verse 12. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is such an important verse, verse 12. There's so much that hinges on what James says in that verse. Church, lowly is a trial. It's not easy being poor. It's not easy being outcast. It's not easy being downtrodden. It's not easy being oppressed. It's a trial. Lowly means I may not have enough money to make ends meet. Lowly means that maybe I'm ridiculed at work because of my friends, because I don't act like the rest of them, because I won't go out and get drunk with them on the weekend or whatever. Lowly means that maybe I'm, I'm, I'm put on the edges of society because of the things that I cherish. Amen. A traditional family, a godly family. Traditional, godly, biblical definitions of marriage and biblical definitions of gender. And I'm cast out of society because I cherish those things. I cherish life. Because I cherish life, I hate abortion. I'm cast out because I cherish those things. I'm made low. But look what waits for me, according to verse 12. Maybe in a trial now, but guess what? I've got a crown of life waiting for me on the other side. And it's, it's, it, the thing is, look, look at what he says. The crown of life which God has promised, so it's already mine. It's mine by the promise of Almighty God who changes not. Amen. His promises are yes and amen. The crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. What does the apostle Paul say about it? He says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In Galatians 6.14, Paul said, But far be it from me to boast, except I ain't going to boast about anything, except that I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which by the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Why would I boast in anything that the world has to offer me? I've been crucified to the world. I will only boast in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.6 says, But the, the Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house. So we, we're the house of God over whom Christ is faithful. If, if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What is our hope? What is it that we have to hold fast our confidence and boasting in? Our hope. The crown of life provided for us by Jesus Christ promised to us by God for all those who love Him. We hold fast our confidence in that hope. Those who boast in that hope. James wants us to know that the lowly believers are not forgotten in Christ. Amen. 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 So, when you Sit in your pity parties. And I know you have them, because I, I do too. I'm not exempting myself, you know, I have them. Lord, why? You know, remember he's not forgotten you. Amen. Boast 
that you have been exalted. The lowly are not cast out in Christ. We are made the house of God over whom He has charge. We are brought high. The lowly are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer Him with Him so that we may reign with Him, be glorified with Him. That's Romans 8. Let's look at the other side of James's command now, the, the rich. Now, it, it would be easy to say something to you like, well, compared to the people that James was writing to, we would all fall into the rich category. Because even the poorest among us in this nation possesses orders of magnitude more wealth than some of the rich did in biblical times. That's true. That is true. We have an abundance of wealth in this nation. A lot of people would make that argument. And in some places where the Scripture speaks about wealth and the rich, it's fair to make that argument. It's fair to make that correlation and to lump all of us into the category of the rich. Because like I said, in this country anyway, it's, it's almost an embarrassment of riches. We, we just have wealth flowing out of our, our ears. Even our poorest people are taken care of through social programs. Now you can find, you know, examples here and there, people who, who are, I mean, truly destitute. But for the most part, we're our, our poor are very well taken care of compared to even today third world countries. They have much more wealth than even today in third world. Much, much more than what they had back in the biblical times. But I, I don't think it's fair or even appropriate to draw that correlation here with what, James, with what James is saying. It's not fair to make that connection. Because James contrasts the lowly with the rich both in terms of, of money, but also I think more prominently like we discussed in terms of social station. So to say that we're all of high social station would be a stretch. Some of us have more money than others, but that doesn't mean that we're all of high social station. I mean, it may have been the case 20 or 50 years ago where being a Christian was widely seen as a good thing in our culture. The church, the cultural winds have shifted in a very dramatic way. And we find ourselves increasingly being pushed to the fringes, both in the public sphere and even in some of our private spheres. We're pushed to the fringes because of the things that we cherish. So James presents us with a bit of a conundrum here. Because it is possible to be both socially low in some circles and socially high in other circles, socially rich in other circles, it is possible to be considered both poor and rich. You can be poor in some circles, and in other circles you can be rich. Even equate that to money. You, in some circles, you have all the money. And in others, especially at, at home, and, and at home I have all the money. Well, I mean, she makes some too, but it's... <laughs> I'm kidding. In relation to my children, I have all the money. But I can get around some people, and I, what I have is beans compared to them. I don't, I'm, I'm the poor person in that group. So James presents us with a conundrum. We can be both rich and poor depending on who we're with. And at any time in our life, we can be either rich or poor. We, we can be all, we, 
Again, the whole spectrum of human experience. We might find ourselves in either of these categories at any different time in our life. But the thing is, we ought not to allow our status here, right now, to affect our confidence and our hope there. Now, I'm saying this again because I don't think James is, is talking mainly about, about money again. I, I think, in fact, when he tells the rich brother to boast in his humiliation, he, he gives some reasons, and it's the reasons that he gives that, I don't, that make me think I'm, he's not talking about money when he says the rich man should boast when he's brought low, when he's, when he's humiliated. And don't think about humiliation in terms of, of uh, uh, negative, negative humiliation. Don't think about it that way. That's not what James means. Not like when you feel embarrassed or whatever, um, or someone has humiliated you. He means humble, when you're brought low. So let's, let's look back at the text from this morning, uh, verses 10 through 11, where he gives these reasons for the rich. In verse 10 he says, And the rich should boast in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So the rich should boast in his humiliation because, here's the reason why we're boasting in humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. What is it that James warns us about here? Does he warn us about the passing of wealth, or is it something else? Continue reading, verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, or its flower falls and its beauty perishes. What is it that James just said was like a flower of the grass? Was it, was it wealth that is like a flower of the grass? Or was it, was it riches or was it the rich man, the rich brother? So keep reading. So also, verse 11, will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits? So James isn't warning us that one day you may be rich, and the next day you may be poor, so you should you know, boast in your humiliation. That's not what he's saying. He's not, he's, he's, this is not a lesson on finances. This is not a lesson. Uh, he's not giving financial advice. He's not telling us how to, how to manage money. He says that the rich man will fade away. In verse 10, he says he will pass away. For the sun rises. How often does the sun rise? Every day. Every day it beats down on the grass and it beats down on the flowers and they fade and they die. James, what he's doing is he's reminding the lofty person, the person who has no cares in the world, the person who's, who's sitting high on the throne, who's, who's, who's doing well for himself, he's reminding him that your time is short. Amen. And today, tomorrow, the next day, just as sure as the sun rises, your day is coming. One day you will die. He's reminding them of their mortality. There's, there's mortality here. There's death here. Do you see that? There's death here. You're rich. You're well-liked. You're well-respected. And it gains you nothing. James says, don't boast in that. Boast instead that you are brought low. Boast instead that one day you will pass from this life just like the, everyone else, just like the grass, you will pass from this life. The book of Hebrews says it's appointed to every man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Boast that one day you will pass, but you can say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Because verse 12, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
going down to verse 16. We read it uh, early this morning. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Verse 16. Verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. So all your riches, all your status, everything you count as a blessing is a gift. You, you didn't earn it. It was given to you. I don't care how hard you worked for it. The Lord provided. Amen. The Lord gave it to you. you. You didn't buy it. It was given to you. You didn't build it. It was given to you. And it came down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now that's humbling. Everything I've built, the, the mountain of treasure that I, I may have counted myself as built, all the influence that I have, all the power that I, that I wield in this world, I didn't, I didn't build it. Amen. Amen. It was a gift. With what then do I have to boast? That's humbling. And in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It is the exercise of his will that exalts me and brings me low. Amen. Amen. It is his will that brings me forth and makes me the first fruits. I can't, I can't claim any responsibility for that. I can't claim any power to do that on my own. I, I cannot stand before the righteous judgment of the Lord on my own. I can't do it. Amen. What's all my riches and all my loftiness and all my high position in the presence of the omnipotence and righteousness of God? What is it? We read it this morning, Isaiah Chapter 6, he writes about being brought before the Lord. And he says, the Lord carried, uh, he says, the, the, when he stood before the Lord, he said, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, because I've seen him. I mean, he's the, he's the prophet of God, you know, he, and he's brought low in the presence of God. The prophet of God stands before God. He's brought low. Get this. He's brought low, but he is brought forth. He is low, but he is in the presence of the omnipotence, the righteousness of God. He is brought low, but he's brought forth. That's the same hope that James offers us. Isaiah talks about the angel that took the piece of burning coal from the altar before the Lord. And he carried it over to Isaiah and he touched Isaiah's lips. And what did the angel say? He said, your, your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. So now Isaiah, who is brought low, can stand before the righteousness of God and not be afraid. He can stand before the righteousness of God and not, not be consumed, not be done away with, and not say, woe is me. He's no longer a man of unclean lips. That's why the angel touched his lips, because he was worried about his unclean mouth. I said, no. It's been wiped away. You're done. You're redeemed. You're blood-bought. You're washed. You're made whole. You can stand righteous before God. 
without saying, woe is me. You've been brought low, but you've been brought forth. Thank God you've been brought forth. And Christ is the one who brings you forth. James offers us that hope. Let the rich rejoice in their humiliation. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He, the Lord, brings us forth of his own will that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Boast because you were brought low. And again, I would add in Christ because I think that's what James is getting at. One last thing, and I'll try to do this quickly. We we began talking about definitions, and I, I mentioned that James is talking to Christians to believers. And he, he begins his letter by addressing it to the Jews in the dispersion. In this section, he says he's talking to, he says, let the lowly brother. And this is a, a clear indication he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, to believers. He would not have called them brothers otherwise. Amen. And then he says, let the rich. And we are to assume it's the rich brother. Now, some would argue that James does not include the rich among the brethren because he did not say rich brother. I would argue that's not possible. That's not possible given the command that he issues to the rich. How does someone who has it all boast that he has nothing? How does someone who has it all boast that he is brought low, that he's humbled and humiliated? I am glad to be humbled under the mighty hand of God. Amen. That, I, that, that the power of Christ, as, as Paul said, may rest upon me. How does a non-believer say that? He can't. So I'd argue it's not possible that the rich is counted among the unbelievers. I, I, if James is saying this, let the lowly brother and the rich brother. It's important he didn't leave brother out. None of this is possible to do. The lowly exalting in his, the lowly boasting in his exaltation. So when things are going bad for you to say, it's okay, it's well with my soul. And when things are going great, I am glad that God has brought me low and reminds me that it is only by Christ that I am even here. None of that's possible to do in a manner that is pleasing to God without faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Unbelievers cannot rejoice that they have a crown of life waiting for them. They don't believe there's one. They don't know of such a thing. Boasting in exaltation, boasting in lofty position, apart from Christ, is just sinful pride. And on the other side of that, for the rich, boasting in humiliation, apart from Christ, is just false humility which honestly is nothing more than sinful pride wearing different shoes. That's why I called this message, Boasting in Christ, the Killer of Pride. We kill pride by realizing we only have one thing to boast in, and that's our Lord. What is secured for us here will end. Our only boast is Christ. Everything else that we have will end. This life will end as sure as the sun rises. 
what's secured for you in the next, what Christ has prepared for you in eternity, that's the reason for our confidence and all of our boasting. So, so don't, don't, when you're low, don't feel like God's forgotten you. Just, just because you're low doesn't mean you're cast out. Just because you're low doesn't mean that you're forgotten. Boast that you are exalted Amen. in Christ. And when you're high, when everything's going well, don't forget the giver. Rejoice that he bring you low and remind you that he is still God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. I thank you so much for your word, for your truth. Lord, I pray I have handled it rightly. And I, I ask you, Lord, that whatever, whatever limitations I have, Lord, as, as a person, that you overcome those by the power of your spirit through the faith of the believer, Lord, that your word would rest on us as seed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.